This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This evening, we want to kick things off by looking at a parable in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus tells this parable of a pearl of great price. And we're going to turn over there and read a little bit uh, about this parable and give some context to it. And I just think that there's some things in this parable that you and I can apply to our life. No matter where it is that we are in life, who we are, what our relationship with God is today, I think that this little small parable that's only two verses long packs a big punch. So in Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, Jesus says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now I want us to get the context here of what's happening. So Jesus is at what's called the Sea of Tiberias, and he has pulled a boat up onto the shore, and he is standing on that boat teaching a large crowd that has gathered on the shore to listen to him. And as we look at Matthew chapter 13, we see multiple parables that Jesus teaches us. He talks about the parable of the sower and illustrates the four different hearts that receive the word of God as it's spread. He talks about the parable of the tares, Uh, Or the weeds, which teaches us the importance of the eternal destinations that exist for all of us. And that our choices uh, matter when it comes to where we spend eternity. He talks about the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. And how a very small thing can turn into something huge and large. And he compares the kingdom of heaven to that. And then he talks about two parables. uh, The parable of the hidden treasure, which comes right before this one. And then the parable of the pearl of great price. Now, as we look at the the hidden treasure parable, it's very similar to this one. It talks about a man who has found a treasure in a field, and he went and he purchased the field so that he could have that treasure that was in it. Uh, And then in this one, of course, it talks about this merchant man that is seeking pearls. And he finds one spectacular pearl of great price, and he sells all of his other pearls and everything else that he has so that he can acquire it. And all of these parables in Matthew chapter 13 are trying to teach us something about the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God tonight and ask you as we begin, what do you think about the kingdom of God? What is your relationship with God like today? Are you prioritizing God and his kingdom over this earthly world that we live in? You see, what I believe that this parable is trying to teach us is the importance of valuing the kingdom. And I think as we look about at the parable of the hidden treasure, that speaks to God's value that he places on us. And he sent his son to purchase us. And then he turns right around and then puts it on us as that merchant man to value the kingdom of God so highly that we're willing to put away all our other pearls, all the other things that entice us in life, and to focus on the kingdom of God first and foremost. And so as we think about that, we think about pearls, I want to read you this quote from Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder was a Roman historian, and he talks about how valuable pearls were in this century. He says, The first place and topmost rank among all things of price is held by pearls. Their whole value lies in their brilliance, size, roundness, smoothness, and and weight. And so I want you to get this picture as Jesus is on this boat and he's teaching this crowd and he mentions pearls, a merchant man, a buyer and seller of pearls, before he even says the words of great price, 
already in their minds, they're thinking the most valuable gem, the most valuable stone, the most valuable thing that they can think of comes to their mind. So already they're, they're getting this picture of this, in their mind of this merchant man who is dealing in the most valuable commodity around, pearls. Now, part of their value in this century uh, was due to the fact that it was very dangerous to acquire these pearls. And what they would do in the Persian Gulf region where most of these pearls originated is they would have pearl divers. And they would take a boat out with a bunch of different divers and they'd go to where they believed that there were oyster beds and they would send a diver off that boat holding a rope with a basket attached to it and then a stone in the other hand and that stone would help him to sink very quickly to the bottom. And then he would gather as many of those oysters into that basket as possible, yank on the rope and they'd pull him up. Now, sometimes those divers would be under three or four minutes and have to hold their breath that long. And as you can imagine, many divers died trying to acquire these oysters just on the hope that inside those oysters, they would find these pearls. So it's a very dangerous profession to be in. And all of this would have come to the mind of those that are listening to this story, to this parable. As those divers came up and they did find those pearls, they would then give them to merchantmen who would go throughout the Roman Empire and they would trade them and sell them to the wealthy that had the ability to pay for such a valuable commodity. Now, what I want us to consider as we think about those pearls is that this merchant man in the parable was seeking. He was looking. And I think you and I today are looking, all of us as humankind, throughout mankind's history, we have been looking for something, for pearls. And all those pearls come in different, uh, different shapes and sizes and, and, and things that entice us and that please us and that entertain us and that bring us satisfaction and joy and all those things that we look for in life. And we are all merchant men, buyers and sellers of pearls. We go about looking for things in life to fulfill us. And the reality is Jesus is teaching us that when we seek for these things, we ought to recognize the value that the kingdom of heaven holds above everything else. And this merchant man did that. He recognized the value of the kingdom and he sold everything. That means he was willing to part with every other inferior pearl because he recognized this one particular pearl was bigger, it was shinier, it was smoother, it was rounder, it was heavier, it was better in every way. And I think that that's true of the kingdom of God tonight. So I want to talk to you about what you believe about the kingdom of God this evening. What is the most important thing in your life? As you consider that and you consider the different pearls, and we use pearls to mean things that are important to us, things that we enjoy in life, things that we go after in life, what is it that tops that list for you? You know, we ask this question sometimes, and family is the answer for a lot of people. You know, my family is the most important thing to me. That's what people will say. And, you know, family is wonderful. My family, I love my family more than anyone else on the face of this planet. No offense to the rest of y'all. I love y'all too, but I don't love you as much as I love my family. My family is the most important people to me in this world. Love my family. We have great times together. Raising my boys and now a girl. Wonderful experience. But is family really the most important thing in our life? And I want you to consider that. You know, there are sometimes there are people that we study with, that we talk to about church and about Christ and the gospel. And it creates a real challenge for them to come to Christ because they come from a family that's of a different belief system, a different religion, that if they were to convert to Christ, it would put a strain, if not eliminate, the relationship with their family altogether. You know, I've not had to deal with that. I'm very thankful for that. I was able to come to Christ and become a Christian and not have to worry about my family and the relationships being, being strained or eliminated. But there are some people that that is an actual choice that they have to make. Family, 
or God? What's the choice going to be if that were you? You know, we think about going to church. Sometimes we go to church where our parents always went to church or where grandma and grandpa went to church. And we decide to prioritize family and the belief of family over what we may know to be true. Maybe we know the church that we ought to be attending. We know the doctrine and the teaching of the Bible. Maybe we've studied those things, we've seen those things, but we choose to go elsewhere because that's where my family is. Are we putting family above the kingdom of God? You know, some of us, we prioritize family activities and we make every band practice and every ball game and everything that our kids are involved in, but we miss the Bible studies and we miss the church fellowship opportunities and we miss the gospel meetings and, and you get the point. Nothing wrong with making your kids baseball game. I think you should make your kids baseball game. But I think beyond the baseball game and the band practice and those other things, there should be something that's more important. And if we have to miss a baseball game to prioritize the spiritual, we should be willing to do that because the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price. That's what Jesus said. What is it for you? You know, we ask this question, what's the most important thing in your life? And sometimes it's not family for people. Sometimes it's job. And they say, my job, my career, that's the most important thing for me because in my career, that's one, how I provide for my family. Two, that's where I get respect. That's where I'm acknowledged. That's where I have skills that are respected. And without my job, I'm nothing. I feel like I don't have a purpose. My job is number one for me. And I want you to consider that this evening. There's nothing wrong with having a job. In fact, there's everything right with having a job. The Bible teaches about having a good work ethic and providing for your family. You should have a job. You should be working. All those things are wonderful. But is your job really the most important thing? You know, sometimes you may have an opportunity to move to a place, to take a promotion or a raise, a better job somewhere, and there's not a church within hundreds of miles around. How do you make that decision? Well, if your job's number one, it's going to be an easy decision. You're going to go. If church is number one, if God is number one, you're going to think through that decision spiritually. And you're going to consider the impact that it has on your life and your relationship with God. So what's more important? What if you're working at your job and your boss asks you to do something dishonest? Asks you to fudge some numbers, to do something that's immoral. It goes against your integrity, it goes against your character, it goes against what you know to be right. But that job's important to you, isn't it? Your boss is asking you to do that. You don't want to lose that job. You want to make your boss happy, right? Is job number one? If job's number one, you're going to be willing to go against your integrity, to give up your character, and to make an immoral choice. And I want to submit to you tonight that your job is not the pearl of great price. It should not be at the top of those things that you value in life. The kingdom of God should be. Sometimes with our job, it's working all the time. And work ethic is important. But if you're working all the time and you're not at church and you're not prioritizing raising your kids to be spiritual, you're not fulfilling the responsibilities God has given you, then you may be prioritizing the job over the kingdom. Are you willing to put the kingdom first, even if it means sacrificing the raise, the promotion, or the job itself? You know, we ask this question, what's the most important thing? And for some people, it's health. You know, health is important. We all want to live to be a ripe old age, right? We all want to live as long as possible and be healthy. And certainly none of us want to get uh, diseases or problems and things that are going to cause us pain and issues throughout life. We all like to have health. Health is important. Health should be valued to a degree. But is health really the most important thing? What happens when you do contract that disease? What happens when your health is put at risk? You know, the people that prioritize health over everything else, they get very, very depressed and don't know what to do with themselves when that health is suddenly gone. 
and it creates a spiritual problem. And instead, what folks need to be doing is prioritizing the spiritual and the kingdom of heaven. And then we recognize that all of our health at some point is going to fail. And we put a spiritual perspective on it and recognize that if we have challenges in this life, we hate it, we don't want it. But if that's what we're going to face, we're going to face it with faith. Because our health shouldn't be number one. God should be. What too many people do in those situations is begin to blame God for their injury, for their disease, for their health crisis. Instead of remaining faithful to God and praising him for the blessings that he has given us. Are you willing to put the kingdom first over even your health? What about your financial security? For some people, that's the most important thing. I've got to check my bank account and my investment account balances 17 times a day. And if that's you, are you checking your financial numbers more than you're checking in on the scriptures, opening the Bible, reading a passage, praying to God, doing spiritual things? Where's the priority? You know, there's nothing wrong with trying to prepare, be financially smart. In fact, the Bible over and over talks about good financial management and principles and saving and all of those sorts of things are biblical things. But if our life is tied up in this, if it's all about this, what happens when that's stripped away? What happens when we've put all of our money in a bank that fails? What happens when a thief comes and takes what we have and suddenly we're left with nothing? You know what happens when our life is wrapped up in this? We have spiritual problems that can lead to depression, that can lead to suicide and other things. And that stuff has happened, folks, with people that are tied up in their finances so much that when they lose it, they think they have lost everything. And what we need to recognize is that even if every piece of money, every dollar was taken from us in this life, we still have the most valuable thing if we're a member of the kingdom of heaven. You ask this question sometimes and the answer to the most important thing in their life is their social cause or their particular pet issue. You ever known somebody that every conversation seems to lead back to the same topic? Over and over and over, it's like, and it doesn't matter where you start. You can start on totally different topics and somehow you end up on whatever it is that they're super passionate about, their pet cause, their social issue. You know, you you sit in those situations sometimes and it just makes me shake my head because that becomes, unfortunately, the identifier for that person. And when that person's name is spoken, you know what other people think about? That particular pet issue. They think about whether they're pro-homeschooling or pro-public schooling. They think about whether they're anti-vax or they're for-vax. They think about, pick the issue. It doesn't matter. But if what people think about when they hear your name is this, is your pet issue, your social cause, you're prioritizing the wrong thing. I want people to think about me when they hear my name, that I'm a Christian, that I'm a churchgoer, that I'm a good man. I don't want them to think, well, he's super passionate about X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Maybe if that X, Y, Z thing is God and scripture and and the Bible and the church, then wonderful. But are we putting opinions and judgment issues, things that are our own personal causes above the kingdom of heaven? And are you willing to stop posting on social media about that particular issue over and over and instead think about using your posts in a spiritual way? Because that will show your priority. We ask this question and sometimes the answer is politics, whether people want to admit it or not. You know, there's some folks that spend nearly 24 hours a day watching news 
and they're paying attention to what's going on in the world. And I'm not saying it's wrong to know what's going on in the world. But at the end of the day, what goes on in this world should not be what motivates us. Our relationship with God and where we're going to spend the next section of our life after this one's gone. Where we're going to spend eternity, that's what should motivate us. But some people see everything in life through the lens of Republican or Democrat. Red or blue. And every decision, every thought process, every conversation comes back to politics. Who are you supporting? What's coming up in the next election? Who are you voting for? It's not wrong to vote. It's not wrong to participate in those things. That's not my point. But that should not be the most important thing in our life. We should not think in terms of red or blue. We should think in terms of biblical or non-biblical. We should think in terms of is God pleased with this or not. That should be the priority. You know, you ask this question sometimes, what's the most important thing in your life? And it's entertainment and it's pleasure. It's the YOLO mentality. You only live once. So let's live it up. And there's too many people in this world today, in this life today, that are living for entertainment and for pleasure. All entertainment and all pleasure aren't bad or immoral or ungodly. There's a lot of wonderful things that we can do that bring us pleasure, that are moral and that are godly, that bring us entertainment, all those things. But if we're living that type of a lifestyle and a philosophy that says, I'm just going to get the most out of life. I'm going to do every unwise thing that comes across my brain because my flesh wants it and I'm going to get what I want. We're living for the wrong world and the wrong life. And that's going to bring destruction upon us, not only in eternity, which is the most important consideration, but also in this world. You think these types of decisions, that YOLO mentality, you, only, you think that's good for your wallet? You think that's good for your health? You think that's good for any of these other things that we say are important for your family life? No, because this is a very, very selfish type of philosophy to live with. Are you willing to put entertainment and pleasure second and put the kingdom of God first? You ask this question sometimes, what is the most important thing in your life? And the answer is education. There's nothing wrong with education. I think education is a good thing. And if it's properly used, it can be wonderful and a good tool. But teaching our kids that a worldly education is more important than a biblical one is a mistake. Teaching our kids to prioritize PhDs over the written word is a mistake. Praising knowledge and intelligence more than character and integrity is a mistake. Your kid can go to the fanciest Ivy League college and get the greatest education. And you hear people talk sometimes and they're so proud of that education that their child has. And they haven't darkened the door of a church in five years. But they're so extremely proud of that wonderful education that they got. Once again, I'm not attacking education. But don't you think there's a way that they can get a good solid education in an area where they're not 900 miles away from mom and dad and church and anyone else that's going to hold them accountable? Isn't there a way that we can do this and still prioritize the spiritual? Or is education our pearl of great price? This evening, I want to ask you what the most important thing in your life is again. And maybe it's not on this list. Maybe it's something else that you thought of. But I want to tell you that Jesus teaches us that all of these things are not nearly as valuable as the kingdom of heaven. And he tells us that we must choose. In Matthew 16, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, in order to be a follower of Jesus, what we have to be able to do? To deny ourselves. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? Because ultimately, all of these things, anything else that we could list and think of, it all boils down to the things that we want that we value, that we like, that are important to us. And we've got to be willing to deny ourselves. We've got to be willing to put him first. 
And so tonight, if you've got a family that's not going to like you coming to Christ, I want to tell you this evening that you've got to have the courage to make the choice to deny yourself and your inclination to go with your family and choose Jesus instead. If you've got a job or health or financial security, any of these other things that are taking the place of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you tonight, you need to start denying yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the God of money and so he's specifically talking here about making a comparison of serving God and money at the same time. But certainly this is true with any of these other pearls that we could name. We can't serve them both. We can't serve two masters. We can't put them both up here at the same value and say we're gonna live like for both. We're just going to walk that line between God and whatever else it is that's important to us. God says, I've got to be number one. Is he number one for you tonight? Have you given your life to him? You know, there's a story in Matthew chapter 19 of a rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he strikes up this conversation and essentially he says, look, Jesus, tell me what it is that I need to do to be saved. And Jesus says, you need to keep the law. Do all of these things. And he says, from my youth up, I've done these things. I've kept the law. I've done the things that I'm supposed to do. And so then Jesus said in verse 21, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This man was unwilling to choose Jesus over his possessions, over the things of life that he valued more. He was a buyer and seller of pearls. He was a merchant man. But in his head, he had already found the pearl of great price. And Jesus didn't compare. And so he walked away sorrowful. He walked away not following Jesus. He chose wrong. He chose this world over the next. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I want you to know this evening that God has promised to be faithful to us, that if we will seek him first, if we will prioritize him as the pearl of great price in our life, he will take care of us in these other areas. Now that does not mean it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and butterflies. That's not what Jesus has promised. There may be struggles. There may be things that we deal with, but he's going to give us a spiritual perspective to allow us to overcome any difficulty in any of these areas because he is our first priority. All these things will be added unto you. It's a promise that if we will take that and run with it and we will live it, we will accept it, we will obey it and live for him, he will give us those things in life that we need. I want to spend the next few minutes this evening talking to you about why I believe the kingdom of heaven truly is and should be the pearl of great price in your life. And it starts and ends ultimately with salvation. I want you to know that God sent his son Jesus down to this earth. And Jesus lived to be about 30 years old. And then he started his ministry. And for three years he walked around and he taught. He performed miracles to prove that he was the son of God. He taught about a new kingdom that was coming that he was establishing. And then three years later he gave his life on a cross. Becoming a sacrifice for sin. Fulfilling the old law of the Old Testament and ushering in a new era where man and woman can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is offering that salvation to you and I. And I want you to know that that cannot be measured. The value of salvation cannot be compared with anything else that we know of. Because it is far more exceedingly valued than anything else. 
You know, for ages, people have asked questions like, why are we here? What is our purpose? And I'm going to tell you ultimately why we're here. We are here to glorify God in everything that we do, to love others as God has loved us. And we're here to share this message of salvation to others and ultimately to accept it ourselves first. And then in our end days and in our final breaths, to transition from this life into eternity where God resides, where Jesus resides, where the Holy Spirit resides, and to live in heaven with him. That's our purpose. That's what God wants for us. And that's what he wants for you. He wants for this life to be about the next one because the next one is far greater and more important than this one. God loves us here. He cares about us here. He cares about our struggles. He wants to help us. All of those things are true, but ultimately what God cares about the most is not this life. It's the next one. It's not our physical bodies, but it is the soul that resides within. That is what God sees as most valuable. And so salvation and eternal life is the number one reason why the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price. Because if you are a part of Jesus' kingdom, you are given salvation and eternal life. And you can have confidence in that. But I want you to know also that the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price because of the moral standard that God has delivered to us in the scriptures. And someone says, now wait a second, a moral standard, isn't that just another way of saying a restrictive list of things I can't do? Isn't that just God wanting to take away fun out of my life and the things that I really want to enjoy and do? No. When we actually look at it and we consider it, I believe that that moral standard, the things that God asks of us in Scripture, it's a guidebook to a better life, to a content, satisfied, joy-filled, happy life that we won't get anywhere else. It's the greatest life hack that there is, this moral standard that God has given us. When we follow the moral standard of the Bible, our lives will quantifiably be better. And this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not me saying, donate so much to the church and your bank account's gonna be filled with money from God. That's not what the scripture teaches and that's not what I'm teaching. But what I'm telling you is when we apply the moral standard of the Bible to our life, there are certain ways that we can see that are obvious that our lives will become better. And I wanna share a few of those with you this evening. According to the Guttmacher Institute, over 61 million abortions have taken place in the United States since 1973. Now, I'm going to be fully transparent with you and tell you that I believe that abortion is one of the greatest tragedies of American society. But here's what I want us to consider. What does the Bible teach about life? What is the moral standard regarding life? I believe the Bible teaches that all life is valuable and precious, that God has ultimately created all of us. And inherent within that is value. We were made in the image of God, every single one of us, including these unborn. And there are 61 million people plus, and this is just in the United States, that would be here today if every person in the world held to that moral standard of the scriptures. If every person held to that belief that all life is precious and valuable, how many more people would be alive today? And yet this many folks have been killed as a result of choice and a devaluation of life that goes against the moral standard of the scripture. 
There are more than 30 sexually transmitted diseases, including bacteria, viruses, and parasites, according to the World Health Organization. And one of those, HIV, has infected over 75 million people, and over 32 million people have died from this disease. Now, there are other ways today where this disease, unfortunately, can be contracted, but the majority of these cases have taken place because of a deviation from the standard in God's Word. And I want us to consider that. If every person were living according to the sexual standard in the scripture, how many of these folks would never have contracted such a disease? How much suffering would have been wiped away? How many lives would have been saved? And here's the point, folks. We can't control the world. We can't control every piece of legislation. We can't control what our government does or what other people do, but we can control us. And we can see very real life examples where if the moral standard of the Bible were applied, suffering would be eased, death would be avoided. And so the same is certainly true in our individual life. If we live according to the moral standard that the Bible gives us, that God has given to us, we will avoid certain things that are a result of the consequences of sin. I want you to think about this. The biblical standard of morality would effectively eliminate violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, Sexual abuse, pornography, racism, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and most, if not all, free will-based societal problems. This doesn't mean that every disease or every uh, stroke of chance or accident or thing would be taken away, but free will-based decisions, if every person in the world lived according to the biblical standard of morality, imagine that world for just a minute. All of the issues and problems and struggles that we have in this nation today wiped away because everybody is looking to the scriptures as the standard. And no, everyone's not perfect and people are still going to make mistakes and all that. I get that. But just imagine the world that that would be where none of these things existed. You know what the moral standard in the Bible is? It's not a restrictive list of things that God has put in place to take away your fun. It is things that God has put in there to help you to have a better, more content satisfied, joy-filled, wonderful life that avoids the problems and issues that comes with sin because sin will lead to these problems in your life. And if you've not seen that already, you will at some point in your life recognize that sin causes destruction over and over and over. And if you will choose to make the kingdom of heaven your pearl of great price, and live according to the moral standard that God has given in his, in his book, you will have a better life. Third, I think the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price because of the family structure that God has designed. You know, from the beginning, God designed it to be one man, one woman in the bonds of marriage, often producing children as a result. He has asked the fathers of the family to lead the home, to love his wife, he has asked the wife in the family to respect and submit to her husband and for husbands and wives to work together to raise godly children who grow up to be good, God-fearing adults who love God and love their fellow man. And yet this family structure has been under attack for a long time in our country and it continues to be under attack. Now I want you to consider that the U.S. divorce rate is about 50% and here's the top five reasons for divorce today. Infidelity, money, communication, fighting, and abuse. Now I want to tell you, if husbands and wives are committed to the family structure and that moral standard that God has delivered, 
If husbands in a family say, I'm going to be a godly husband and a godly father, and wives in the family say, I'm going to be a godly wife, a godly mom, and we've got husbands and wives working together in that to fulfill their family roles, you know what we won't have in marriage? We won't have infidelity. Because spouses will love and appreciate one another and be Christ-centered first and not selfish. We won't have money problems that are too big to get past. It doesn't mean that we'll never have money struggles, but it means that's not going to cause our marriage to rip apart because husbands and wives are going to communicate and they're going to work together and they're going to work a plan to get out of it because they're Christ-centered. We're not going to have communication issues because husbands and wives are going to value each other and they're going to recognize that yelling and screaming and throwing things at each other isn't effective communication. But Christ-centered, God-centered communication means valuing and listening to the other person. We're not going to have fighting and abuse in the home because every member of the family is going to recognize what God's asking of them. I want you to know that family structure that God has designed is a wonderful blessing. And if you're here tonight and you have a family, a godly family, and you see that in your spouse, you see that in your kids, or you remember being raised in a family like that, you know the joy, you know the contentment, you know the wonderful blessing that it is that that family structure provides. But when we're selfish, when we violate that family structure, when we go our own way, it causes problems, not just in the marriage, but also for children. I want to read you some statistics from the uh, National Fatherhood Initiative. And it says basically this, that uh, there in the top left, it says there's a crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all the societal ills facing America today. Research shows that when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. Those children raised in a fatherless home have a four-time greater risk of poverty. They're more likely to have behavioral problems. They're seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They're more likely to face abuse and neglect. There's a two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. And yet, for whatever reason, our selfish decision as people to go our own way and violate the family structure is more important to us than seeing the consequences that that has on our children. And I want you to know this evening that no matter what your past may be, no matter what the history may be, you need to recognize that what you're doing today in your marriage today with your children today, it matters. Because when marriages fall apart, kids are not okay. And you think about kids that grow up with two sets of parents. Maybe one comes to church, the other one doesn't. So one weekend they're at church, the other weekend they're fishing or doing whatever. And imagine growing up in that situation. I've got, we've got folks at home that have that situation. And you hate it. And you say, God bless you to the single parent that is bringing their child to church. And God bless you for doing that seriously, for taking that seriously. Because you don't have that support any longer. And it's hard when you're doing that by yourself. And any person that has walked that path will tell you it's hard. It's harder to do that without someone there walking alongside you with the same goals and the same priorities. And God bless you if that's the situation you're in. And we as a church need to support single moms and single dads to help them through those challenges. But I want you to know, ultimately, the structure that God has put in place for our family matters. And there's consequences when we violate it. And we see the wreckage, we see the consequences, we see the problems that it causes for our kids when those situations become a reality. 
And I want to encourage you to see the kingdom of God as the pearl of great price in part because it creates a wonderful family dynamic. And you may be here tonight and maybe, I don't know all of you in your family situation. You may be in a, in a negative family situation right now. And maybe it's a struggle right now. And I want you to know that Jesus holds the answer for helping to solve those things. And to get past those things. And to work towards creating a wonderful blessed home in existence. And you can have that. I want you to know the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price. Not only for those reasons, but also because of the community that we become a part of as Christians. The friendship, the love, and the support that we get from the church. You know, when we struggle, when we have issues, we will have people that we can rely on. I like this chart. This is from Gallup. And they polled a bunch of people. And, and what this is showing, that green line, is showing the average number of positive emotions that a person has every day. And that blue line is showing the negative emotions that a person has every day. And this is sorted by church attendance. So on the far left, you've got somebody that never goes to church. On the far right, you've got somebody that once a week, they're at church, and then everything in between. And what's interesting to me is that Gallup, that doesn't necessarily have any interest in promoting Christ or Christianity or Christian values, is just simply showing us that those that come to church, and the more often they go to church, you know what happens? Their positive emotions go up, their negative emotions go down. You know why? Why do you think that is? I think we can use some reason and common sense to determine that. One, I think it's because people that go to church that much are God-focused more than self-focused, and that helps. But I think it also has to do with the community, the church family, the people that they're a part of. You may not have a good blood family in this world. You may have a family that stinks. But I want you to know in the church, you'll have a family that's there for you, that loves you, that cares about you. Me and my family faced a very real situation several years ago. My mom passed away in a car accident. And Leah and I were in the process of transition at that point that she passed. We were living in Harlingen, Texas at the time. And we were supposed to move to Houston four days later. We had our apartment about a quarter of the way packed up. I had a truck that I had rented that I was supposed to pick up in three days. And we were going to load up and we were going to move. I get the call about my mom and we hop in the car and we head north. And I didn't care. And Harlingen's about six hours south of Houston. And I, I knew in the back of my mind over those next few days as we were preparing for a funeral and all those things, I knew all of our stuff's back home. It's in that apartment. Our lease is up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get all that stuff. But I didn't care at the time because it was important that I was there with my family in that difficult moment. But all the while, I'm worried and I'm stressed about what we're going to do about all that stuff. The North 7th Street Church of Christ in Harlingen went over to our apartment. They took all of our stuff and packed it into boxes. They went and picked up the truck, voided my payment and paid for the truck, loaded it all up on there, cleaned our apartment so we'd get our deposit back. And then they brought that truck with all of our belongings and our second car up to Houston. And they handed me the keys and they said, you don't have to worry about it. It's done. You've got enough on your plate. We got you. And it's nearly 10 years later and I'm telling that story. You know why? Because it meant that much to me and to my family. There's no community that's better than church family, folks. And I've said this in the last 10 years multiple times, but I don't know how somebody goes through something like that without a good church family behind them. I don't know what we would have done without ours. And if you're not a part of a church family, I want you to know that it is the greatest family that you'll ever be a part of.
finally this evening. I want you to know that the kingdom of heaven really is the pearl of great price because of the spiritual view that it gives you on life. Contentment and peace are extremely valuable, important things to Christian people. The Bible talks about living quiet and peaceable lives. You know, the spiritual view that we're able to have as Christian people in the church is a comforting one. Loss is hard. Death is hard. Losing a loved one is very hard. But a spiritual view on life tells you that that loved one, who is a Christian person, has received the eternal joy of heaven. And if we'll be a Christian person, then it's not goodbye. It's just see you later. And we'll get to see him again. And I believe that. I have faith in that. And that provides me comfort and strength to know that I'll see those that I have lost again. Our spiritual view of life reminds us that death is not the end. It reminds us that our health is not the end-all be-all because one day all of us, our bodies will fail, our health will fail, and the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus is far more important. When you don't have a spiritual view on life and you don't have the expectation of heaven, it means that this life is all there is. Can you imagine this life with its struggles and trials and pain being all there is and then you're just gone. The scriptures teach that that's not the case. You and I have an eternal soul. An eternal soul that God desires to spend eternity with him. And we can do that if we'll accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 The scripture says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I want you to know this evening that God desires that you would be rich, but not in the way that you and I normally think about riches. He wants you to be rich through Jesus Christ. He wants you to be rich in spiritual blessings. He wants you to be rich with eternal life. And God is promising to give those things to you this evening if you'll accept them. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.